So if you are joining us, we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. Paulie kicked us back off uh, last week, and um, we're in a section of Mark where Jesus actually just has quite hard-hitting words. So last week, uh, he was speaking on the seriousness of sin and the reality of hell, if you were here. Um, this week and next week, there are two tests that are coming Jesus' way, people wanting to test and, uh, and, uh, and trap Jesus. Uh, today, the Pharisees are going to be doing that with Jesus around the question of relationship, specifically divorce. It's going to be a conversation there. Then next week, Paul's going to be back preaching, and uh, a rich young ruler is going to be testing Jesus on the issue of money and finances. And so, <clears throat> essentially, that's where we're going. Yeah, that was the big topic next week, is can a rich person enter the kingdom of God? That's the trap that's sort of set for Jesus next week. So I'm glad you're with us uh, for some quite interesting and, to be honest, spicy and hard-hitting words from Jesus, and uh, tonight is no different. And where are we in the story? Uh, If you are just joining us, uh, we've been going through Mark for about a year and a half on and off, and essentially, uh, Jesus is now on the move. Uh, Do I have a map? No, the map's coming later. Never mind. Um, Jesus is on the move from Capernaum, which is a place up north in Galilee. He's heading down south towards Jerusalem, uh, where he's heading towards his death, burial, and resurrection. He's been talking about that consistently. And so we're going to read tonight's passage, but that's where we're at, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. So Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And he left there, Capernaum, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So it's Jesus on the topic of hard hearts, marriage, and divorce. And I don't think it needs too much of introduction to say that the topic of divorce, remarriage, these sorts of things are big and they are raw and they are very, very real and meaningful for people. And, uh, likely a lot of you in this room. Some of you are from divorced homes. Uh, Some of you in this room have been divorced. Some of you uh, are remarried. Some of you are married right now and possibly considering divorce. And so there's quite a wide spectrum of people in the room, and every single story is unique. And it's worth saying that this is not the Bible's full teaching on the subject of marriage and divorce. To be honest, it's not even Jesus' full teaching on the subject. And so if you want a much fuller treatment of our sort of understanding of what the Bible has to say on on the matter of marriage, divorce, remarriage, uh, we've got a sort of paper on our website. It's, it's, it's live now. There'll be a link to it in the podcast notes of, of this message, so you can go and check that out for yourself um, if, if, if that's you. But the plan tonight is literally just to walk through the text, walk through the passage, um, and it has sort of natural breaks. So that's how we're going to do it, and we're going to unpack what Jesus is saying and what, and what is going on here. But before we do that, I literally just want to grab some of you right now. If you are a Christ follower and you are single, I literally want to say, hold on a minute, because I know you might be tempted as soon as you hear that the message is on marriage and then even divorce. That feels like an extra step removed from you. I want to say, lean in, 
um, this is not actually a moment to tap out at all. Here's a few reasons. Number one, um, there's actually tons more going on in this passage than marriage and divorce. The actual whole underlying thing of this passage, which we'll get into, is sin and the twisting of Scripture and the heart of God towards a whole bunch of stuff. So that's relevant for everybody. Number two, um, even if you are single, uh, God's call on you is to hold marriage in honor and have a high regard for it in this community and and in the world. And so, again, this is good for you to lean in on. Um, And thirdly, we totally reject the notion that if, if just because you haven't been through something or are involved in something, that you can't speak into the situation. That's just a totally worldly thing. Um, If you're a single and you have married friends who are Christ followers, you can totally counsel them, encourage them, correct them, point them to the words, the wisdom, the ways of Jesus from the scriptures. You are released in the power, presence of God to to do that. And then lastly, um, you'll notice in this passage that even if you're not married, this, this passage has quite some significant things for you to consider, which is to not enter marriage lightly. Um, and hopefully that w- would help some of you as well. Um, and the last disclaimer is if you're in this room, you're not a Christ follower, I want to say you're welcome. I'm primarily talking to those of us who are Christ followers. Jesus is primarily talking to his people right here, but I'm hoping that you will get a window into who Jesus is, what we believe, um, and hopefully, as I say, um, there are some hard-hitting words, but get a sense of who God is and his heart uh, for marriage and divorce, but his heart for people in general, and I hope that comes across as well. So that's where we're going, uh, so let's just jump in. The first little section here is the Pharisees' test of Jesus, the Pharisees' test of Jesus. So verse 1, Jesus left there, Capernaum. He went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, Jesus has been traveling, as I said, he's entering Jewish territory. And actually, here's a map that I just thought I'd show you guys. It's quite helpful. Um, So he's been up north in Galilee. He's traveling down. Right now, we're literally down at the bottom here. He's crossing over. Perea is the land called Beyond the Jordan. And he's literally crossing the Jordan River into Judea. And uh, if you've ever read your Bible, something might spark off here is actually... Crossing the Jordan from east to west is exactly what the people of Israel did when they were sent in by God to occupy the land. And um, they were sent in to remove evil, to set up God's kingdom. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. Jesus sums up Israel in himself. Jesus does everything that Israel couldn't do and was supposed to do. And so Jesus is coming in now to wipe out evil, set up God's kingdom by going to the cross, defeating sin and rising from, from death. So that's what's happening here. Everything points to Jesus in the scriptures. And so he enters Jewish territory, and the first opposition that he encounters are his own people, are the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They are the very people who should be teaching the word of God and upholding the word of God and seeking God's heart and identifying Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, and yet they're the people that Jesus encounters as his opposition. And they haven't been on the scene for a while. I don't think they've come up in any of the Mark passages this year so far. And so just to remind that um, previously these guys had been traveling from Jerusalem all the way up north to interrupt Jesus' ministry, essentially. They were hoping to discredit him. And actually, uh, the last we heard of them, they were trying to get Jesus killed. They were plotting to assassinate him. And that's exactly what they're wanting to do now, except on their own home turf. Jesus is now coming to their home turf, and they want to achieve the same ends. And you might want to ask, why were these religious leaders of, of God's people wanting to kill Jesus? 
And the reason is that the Pharisees had, for a bunch of different reasons, set up a whole bunch of their own rules, a whole bunch of their own laws, uh, mostly in order to get out of following God's laws and God's rules. And so Jesus was consistently calling them out on this, and it aggravated them, and they wanted to take him out. So that is what is going on here. And so when it says here, um, they asked him a question about divorce in order to test him, this is the background of, of what is happening. And what is the nature of this test? What are they going to achieve by, by asking Jesus about this question? What's going on in their mind? Well, this region, you can go back to the map, this region here of Judea and Perea, which is what's called beyond the Jordan, this is Herod Antipas's region. He's the, the Jewish puppet ruler who is, um, who is ruling there underneath the Roman colonial powers. And way back in the story in Mark, around about Mark 6, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, he was a prophet, he was the forerunner to Jesus, he was preaching in the wilderness, and he went to Herod, and he called him out on his, in God's eyes, unlawful divorce and remarriage. And what happened to him was, he got his head chopped off. And so the, the, the Pharisees now want to trap Jesus. If they can get Jesus to um, go against what John the Baptist was talking about and preaching. Well, everyone viewed John as a legit prophet, as the word of God coming to them. So if Jesus disagrees with that, he's going to be in disrepute. His ministry is going to just go to nothing because it wouldn't be true. But if Jesus sticks with John's teaching and upholds uh, John's version of the Mosaic law and what was going on there, then guess who's going to get their head chopped off? Jesus. And that's their plan. That's the trap that the Pharisees are setting. And so they're simply, and this is huge, they're simply using the topic of divorce for their own gain, to actually twist it and trap Jesus and, 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 and get him in trouble, which actually leads on to exactly the next section, which Jesus responds appropriately um, when he now tackles Moses' law regarding divorce. Moses' law regarding divorce. So we'll keep reading from verse 3. So Jesus answered them. They asked, can a man divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Now, what we've got here from Jesus is quite fascinatingly a little insight into understanding our Bibles. That's exactly what's happening here. His first thing is to, it to them is, what does the scripture say? What does the text say? What is actually written down? What did Moses actually write? And then secondly, you'll hear in the passage, he says, cool, and what does it mean? What was the intent of God? What was the intent of both the human author and the divine author God when he wrote this passage? It's a little lesson in, in, in understanding our scriptures. And the Pharisees here are referring to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. Uh, if you want to go read it in your own time, please, please do that. But if you go and read it, what you'll notice is, firstly, it says far more than a man can simply write a certificate of divorce and send his wife away. They make it sound like it's a no-clause divorce law, which is not the case at all if you go and read the text. So they're not even being fair literally to, to, to literally what is written down, let alone um, taking into account why God gave the law in the first place. What was his intent? What was his heart? They've completely missed that. And so Jesus responds, and he says to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote this law. And when he's talking about your heart there, He's talking about every single human being. He's talking about the people of Israel at the time, but, but every single human being who's lived, and the Pharisees in particular here are exemplifying this. Laws have to come in because of our hardness of heart towards God. Hardness of heart towards God 
pushes against his design for everything, really. His design for marriage, his design for sexuality, his design for marriage, whatever it might be. Our hardness of heart, our stiff-neckedness towards him pushes against everything he has set up for our good. And so this law around divorce here that they're pointing to is not plan A. That's the big point. This is not plan A. It was brought in as a concession. It was brought in, firstly, as a concession for sin. Our hard hearts, our sin against God, works itself out in sinning against each other. We do it all the time. We hurt each other. We're selfish. We, we uh, are intentionally or unintentionally hurtful. Something like adultery is because of sin, and it happens, and it hurts a marriage, and it breaks a marriage. And so this is totally a concession because of sin. This is plan B in a big, big way. Secondly, it's a concession in order to protect women. This law was put in here to protect women. So in the days of Moses, when he wrote this, inspired by the Spirit of God, um, what would happen is uh, men were able at this point to just divorce women for no reason. And if that happened, a woman typically ended up in poverty um, and, and out of community, and her life was ruined. And so God put this law in here to say, no, 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 no. Men, you are not just releasing women just because they displease you or something happened that you just don't like or you've got a little preference or whatever. No, 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 no. You need to write a certificate of divorce and I have a reason of why you need, the only reason that you can write that certificate of divorce. That's what is happening in this law that Moses wrote. What you'll notice here in this passage though is um, Jesus doesn't mention any lawful reasons uh, for people to actually get divorced. He doesn't touch on it there. And you might want to ask the question, why? Because if you go and read Matthew's account uh, and you go read elsewhere in the Scriptures, there are reasons. You go read the Deuteronomy passage. Um, things like adultery, things like severe neglect, things like abuse are legitimate reasons for the permitting of divorce. And it's huge to say this. Adultery doesn't mean that you have to get divorced, that God is commanding a divorce. It just means that God is permitting a divorce and uh, the person who has been sinned against would be free to go. But the fact that Mark doesn't mention any of this stuff in this passage, I think gets to the point that he's not actually trying to do a niche teaching here on divorce and remarriage and, and this and that. I think what he's trying to do is reveal hard hearts and the, the problem that that is and paint a glorious picture of the big idea and the big ideal of, of what God set up here, which is, which is marriage. I think that is what Mark is doing. He's showing us how the hardness of human hearts towards God is what brought the law in in the first place. But now, hardness of human hearts is the same thing that's actually perverting the law now, years later, as the Pharisees are trying to use it to twist the moment and trap Jesus and get him into trouble. And the Pharisees will use it as a loophole for all their followers to say, yeah, 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 if you're just unhappy or you feel like you've fallen out of love, here's a great loophole, get divorced. And that's not the intention. The Pharisees are trying to use it to get Jesus killed. What they're doing is they are using the very words of God to counter the work of God. They're literally using the scriptures and turning them on their heads and twisting them. And the truth is, friends, we can all do this. Each and every one of us in the room probably does do this from time to time. Okay, We all have hard hearts from time to time. And what we'll do is we twist scriptures to suit ourselves. We'll twist scriptures to suit ourselves. And instead of the scriptures conforming us to God's will, we will attempt to conform the scriptures to our will. We do it often. And we will write it off in moments by telling people who, 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 who are trying to help us and just say, no, no, that's your interpretation. That's your interpretation. I don't know how many times I've heard that one. Just to justify our own view and our own hard hearts 
and sinful views of Scripture. So the bottom line is, friends, not all interpretations are born equal. You see that in this passage here. You can't just claim, oh, well, there's this and this, and so free for all. No, 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 no. The truth is exactly what Jesus is revealing. We can use scriptures to back up anything we want, whether it's our own sexual preferences or whether it's to enslave an entire group of people based on their race. We can use scriptures to do whatever we want. And so we need to be very, very careful because hard hearts lead us to ignore what's written. They lead us to misrepresent God's intent. They push aside God's heart. And they do exactly what the Pharisees did here. They lead us to jump straight into the disclaimer text of what we can get away with, possibly, and miss the big, huge, heart, beautiful picture that God is putting before us on whatever topic it might be. And it can happen in life groups. I know this can happen in life groups where we'll have a discussion around a text and everyone will say, um, well, to me, this means this. And to me, this means this. Friends, in life groups, that's not what we want to do. We want to work together to figure out what the scripture means. Period. There's a massive difference. What does it say? What did the author intend? And how does this fit into the whole picture and whole sweep of scripture with Jesus as the center point? So, Jesus is hitting this thing of of divorce, and he's hitting this thing of not misusing Scripture. And all this being said, what he wants to do here is is put this concession of divorce in its place now by by lifting our gaze to God's vision for marriage, God's vision for marriage. And what you'll notice here is he's going to point back to Genesis, as we've read in the text, um, but guess who wrote Genesis? Moses wrote Genesis. So when God says, what does the Mosaic law command? Genesis was the first book of the law. And the Pharisees didn't go jump back to what Jesus points them to. You see, they went straight to the disclaimer text, the what can we get away with text, and have missed the big idea. And so Jesus takes them there. In verse 6, he says, From the beginning, however, the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, if you've been joining us for a couple of months, you might remember we did a a series called Origins when we were in the book of Genesis, and so we touched on the origin of marriage there a couple of months ago, Um, and we've got a series coming up in a couple of weeks or months on sex and sexuality, and hopefully we'll cover the full gamut of that. Um, And so we're just going to highlight the big idea here of what Jesus is saying. He's saying marriage is between one man and one woman for life. That's the plan. That's exactly what Jesus has set up here in Scripture. And if you remember, God created human beings as his representatives on this earth to rule and reign on his behalf. And God created us as two distinct types of humans, males and females. That's what he did. Now, we're both created in his image. We're both full of dignity, value, and worth before God, our creator, and and before each other. But the truth is we're not exactly the same any more than, than heaven and earth are the same, or, or day and night are the same. And if you remember when we were in our origin series in Genesis 1, it's a story of order and life coming through distinction and separation, twoism rather than oneism. Okay, Rain comes from the sky, falls on the land, and life happens. If those distinctions collapse, life is removed. And that's the point here. Life comes through beautiful difference, and marriage is Two different people coming together, uh, and there will be a life that comes from that in the form of procreation, typically. Now, that's not the be-all and end-all of marriage. Marriage is is not just a baby-producing factory. It is a lot more than that. Um, Essentially, it's two whole lives becoming one. That's what marriage is. 
It's a sexual union between two people who share legal, social, financial, personal bonds. And it's a covenant. It's a covenant made by people, for sure, in front of people, but it's a covenant made by God. Don't miss that in the text. There's God joined them together. He's done it. He's made them one. So the point is, far be it then, that any one of the parties or a third party should come and break what God has joined together. Far be it that that be the case. Jesus is saying, do not do it. The idea when you enter marriage, when you enter marriage, your idea is divorce is not an option. That's what God's saying. Divorce is not an option. It's not about what you can still get away with. It's not about what you can get out for yourself. That's not what's going on here in marriage. God's saying, lift your gaze. Lift your gaze onto what I am displaying for you. This is a kingdom thing that's going on here. Jesus is not simply trying to explain people, oh, look, just don't get divorced. Don't. That's not his, that's, he's not majoring on that. He's saying, look at marriage. Look at kingdom life. Look at the portrait. Look at the picture. Look at the plan. That's what he's trying to get us here, get us to look at here. It's about husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church. It's about wives respecting their husbands, modeling what the church is meant to be doing with Jesus. And it's not a mere, it's not a mere contract of convenience. It is a covenant of commitment. It's not just about we're going to partner together as long as it's mutually beneficial. That's not the plan at all. So here's a question for those of you who are married in the room, um, and I say this to myself as well. If you're a husband, here's a question for you. Are you your wife's best friend? Are you your wife's best friend? And that can be a really challenging thing, I think, because I, I think, well, at least myself here, um, we can tend to, to not be relationally all there a lot of the time. We're off, off doing our thing, and we're quite relaxed people as guys sometimes. We need to lean into the relational aspect of our marriages. We do. Wives... Are you your husband's biggest fan? Are you your husband's biggest fan? He needs to know that you are in his court, that you are with him through thick and thin, and that you just think he's great. Just he needs that. We need that from time to time. And so that's a question for the husbands and a question for the wives at this moment. But this is a call. This is a call to put our covenant-keeping God on display for the whole world. Marriage is the loudest sermon that we get to preach if you are married. It's a display of God's love for us. And let me just quickly speak to singles here too in this moment. Um, all of you, but perhaps also the ones who might be in this room and you're avoiding marriage for whatever reason. Maybe there's a bit of a, a laziness, maybe there's a selfish intent um, that you're just like, I actually like my life my way and I'm going to be super fussy and whatever. Let me just say something to you here that this is radically countercultural. This call from Jesus here is radically countercultural. Um, listen to this quote from Pete Davis in his book, Dedicated, to just give you an idea of the culture that we are swimming against here. Uh, it'll come up on the screens now, hopefully. It should come up on the screens. Maybe. Oh, okay. okay. Apparently, I don't have it on the screens. Sorry, Paul. You asked me to do that this morning, and right. twice, twice in one day I didn't put the quote there. So, focus. I'm going to read it to you. I've come to believe that this is the defining characteristic of my generation, keeping our options open. The Polish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman has a great phrase for what I'm talking about. He calls it liquid modernity. We never want to commit to any one identity or place or community, and so we remain liquid in a state that can adapt to fit any future shape. And it's not just us. The world around us remains liquid too. 
We can't rely on any job or role, idea, cause, group, or institution to stick around in the same form for long. And they can't rely on us to do so either. That's liquid modernity. It's infinite browsing mode for everything in our lives. And I think that's super true. Especially as Cape Tonians and young Cape Tonians, we are keeping our options open, whether it's on Saturday afternoon or whether it's who we're going to marry. That's just how we operate. And this call from Jesus is a radically countercultural call. It's nothing short of a revolution. It's nothing short of a revolution. And so let's join the revolt together and get behind this thing. So this leads us to the last thing here. Jesus' remarks on marriage. The last thing in the text, and then I'll have one more comment after that. So verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus, once again here, is, you'll see, standing up to the Pharisees and standing up for women, once again. So he's getting in the Pharisees' face because it's their perversion of the law, but he's standing up for women. Um, typically, the rabbis in his day weren't teaching that women also had the freedom, if they had been uh, cheated on or whatever it might be, to actually um, divorce their husbands. Essentially, they were typically trapped. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Both husband and wife, equal parties, both have the same rights here in this matter. And so he's, once again, upholding women. And the big idea here for all of us, again, is that Jesus is steering us away from unlawful divorce. Unlawful in God's eyes, not unlawful in the eyes of the state. That's what he's getting at here. Because I know this thing of the, this idea of divorce and remarriage can sound like such a sticky thing. He's steering people away from divorce for trivial reasons. Reasons like, I fell out of love. He's steering people away from divorce um, for reasons that stem from sin and selfishness and hard hearts towards God. And uh, let me just say, if you have divorced someone for unlawful reasons in the eyes of God, what he's saying here is, yeah, if you, get re- if, if you just do that willy-nilly and you get remarried, you are committing adultery because you did not have legitimate grounds to break the initial covenant. You just left. You're technically still in that covenant, and now you are breaking it by entering marriage with someone else. And that doesn't mean that the new marriage isn't a marriage. I don't think Jesus or Paul or any of the people in the Bible are now saying, cool, 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 now divorce that one and try and make a plan. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. What he is trying to say is, from another angle, he's trying to hit the point, do not Enter or exit marriage lightly. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And I do want to say this. Divorce for the wrong reasons is not an unforgivable sin. It is not an unforgivable sin. And we all need to own that and believe that for everyone, the people in our midst and the people we know and love. It's a sin that Jesus died to pay for, like any other sin. And if this is you, if you're in this room and you feel that, that this is you, that you, that you are the one that divorced from a marriage and you realize now nah, that, was, that was not God's plan for you, please come and chat to us. As I say, the doc is online where there's a much fuller explanation. Please come and chat to myself, Paul, the elders, life group leaders. We'd love to journey with you because um, God is a God of second chances. He's a God of new horizons. He's a God of restoration. And we would love to walk with you, journey with you, and, and, and pass you on that issue. But it doesn't change the big idea. 
we are called to commit. This is who the people of God are in general. We're called to commit. In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, through ups and downs, through trials and tribulations, the seasons, the changes, through the storms of life, through the norms of life, through our own faults, our own failures, and our spouse's faults, our spouse's failures. I love this quote from Tim Keller. I was going through my Proverbs devotional this week, and this This quote on marriage came up, and so the one quote that I do have is uh, on the screen for you here. So here we go. Marriage brings growth that is impossible outside of the security of the bonded union. Because you cannot just walk away when things get difficult, it brings increased self-knowledge, emotional and spiritual growth, deep mutual affirmation and support, and the distinct joy you can have only in the presence of someone with whom you have been through thick and thin. There's a joy and there's a glory that you will experience if you go through thick and thin with someone. You're not going to get it if you just go your separate ways. And I think many of us know this. Maybe we don't think of it in a marriage context, but we know this in an intuitive level. And I think I'll use the example of sport. Um, Sports fans know, sports fans know that um, you stick through your team through thick and thin. Even if they're going through a drought, there is something glorious when your team prevails. And here's a picture from uh, last year. It's Liverpool. Liverpool winning the Premier League. 30 years of drought, we could say that. 30 years of drought. But if you were a Liverpool fan in those years and you arrived at this moment, you knew the payoff. You knew the payoff. You never walked alone, and that was totally worth it. It was totally worth it. And I just want to say, we know that there is a sense of glory by sticking together. There's a sense of glory by sticking together. And I want to ask God to to make this a reality in our marriages and in this community, and not just something that is on TV and we stick through our team. I'm sticking through Arsenal right now. It's been a rough 15 years or whatever it is. But, um, But I pray that this is a reality for our lives. I pray this is a reality for our lives. Because, friends, there is freedom and there is joy to be found in the boundaries of commitment. Okay, you've heard that phrase. A a train is most free when it's on its tracks. There's truth in that. And so this is a call from God tonight. It's a call from God to all of us in this room, all of us in this room, to be people who do things like ask for forgiveness and to be people who offer forgiveness to be people who look for ways to serve, to look for ways to love one another, to be a people who pray for one another. That's God's call on us. Friends, one of the main reasons that, that people end up leaving churches, to be honest, I've been in churches for nearly 20 years. It's not that the church was terrible. Pretty much, it's people just wanting to duck because it got hard and they can't commit. And they can't work through that thing with that one person. And they don't want to forgive. Or they don't want to offer forgiveness, or they don't want to realize and ask for forgiveness. Let's not be those people. Let's stick together through thick and thin. And the way we need to do that, the way that's going to help us do that, is to consider our faithful spouse. Our faithful spouse. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. If you're not a wife in this room, like a physical wife to a husband, um, ta-da, we're all part of the bride of Christ. We all, in some shape or form, are a bride to Jesus' husband, and he's our faithful spouse. And the truth is, the reason that we fail in marriages and the reason we fail in community is because of what Jesus said there, hardness of heart. 
That's what gets in the way. We're just proud. We've just got stubbornness. We refuse to repent and acknowledge our mistakes. We shift blame due to self-righteousness, goodness. If you're, mar- if you're married, I bet you in the last week or two, that happened in your household. I bet you that someone was like, no, that's not cool. Ah, it's your fault. It's your fault. God, the woman you gave me. I mean, that's literally been happening since the Garden of Eden. Shifting blame due to self-righteousness. Our hard hearts cause us to flee reconciliation. It's way easier to run than to work through things. And so what we need are soft hearts. We need melted hearts. And we need God to help us in that area. We need His Spirit to come and melt our hearts that we can pull together as married couples and as the people of God. And the truth is nothing is going to soften your heart more than recognizing that you have been the unfaithful partner in a relationship. Nothing will humble you more than recognizing you have been the unfaithful one. You go and read the whole Bible, and probably I would say one of the biggest metaphors, if not the biggest metaphor in the Bible, is this thing of uh, husband and wife, God and his people, Christ and the church. I mean, heck, the whole Bible, you go read Revelation, the whole Bible is pointing towards a beautiful wedding ceremony, a marriage between Jesus and the church. That's the metaphor. And God is our faithful husband who has never violated his covenant promises to us. Not once has God ever done that. And yet we do it consistently. We do it all the time. We come short, we spurn him, we cheat on him, we reject him, we walk away from him. And still through thick and thin, through ups and downs, God has lovingly, consistently, faithfully pursued us. You want a great picture of this? Go and read the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic picture of of God's heart towards us and our hearts towards God. Honestly, go and read it. Six chapters, it's fantastic. I'm gonna do it this week, I've decided. Um, But God God has stood by us. God has stood by you through thick and thin. And he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and graciousness towards us. And so, let's all lean in and cultivate a heart of gratitude for his faithfulness to us, for his goodness towards us. Despite our rejection and our unfaithfulness, he has laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for his bride so that we might flourish. He laid down his, his life so that we might get life. That's exactly what he did on the cross. He died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God and enter into this covenant relationship with him. You know someone loves you when they die for you. You know they are faithful to you to the end when the end is them dying on your behalf. As I trust that melts your heart right now, that you recognize, and I recognize, that God is with us, that God is for us. He's never gonna leave us or forsake us even though he could have, because of our hearts towards him. And that's worthy of worship and praise. And so Drew and Polly are going to come up, and we're going to sing in response. And why don't, why don't we all stand? And I just want to say to all of us as Christ followers right now, in this moment, do business with God. While we're singing, create space in your heart, come before God and acknowledge your hard-heartedness, where it's been there, where you maybe in this moment had the penny drop moment that you have walked away from God at times, been unfaithful. Let that shape the way we respond to others around us who let us down from time to time.
And if you came here tonight, I mentioned you earlier, you're someone who's exploring the claims of Christ. You, you walked in um, with questions, perhaps unconvinced of who God is. An invitation is here for you right now to respond to Jesus for the first time. Recognize that your heart has been hard towards God. You've had sin in your life that has separated you from God and He hasn't left you in the state that is just deserving of punishment or rejection. He at cost to His own self has come to make a way for you to be reconciled to Him. The death of Jesus. And if you, if you want to receive His love, you want to receive His forgiveness, you want to receive new life in Him, you want to enter into a covenant relationship with Him, first step for you is to right now trust in Jesus for salvation. By faith, come to God and say, I recognize that I cannot pay for my own sin. I don't have what it takes. I need what Jesus did on the cross on my behalf to be counted towards me. And the promise of God is that your hard heart of stone will be replaced in a moment with a heart of flesh. And yeah, we'll, we'll harden it from time to time, but you will become a new creation, part of God's very own new creation project that he is doing by restoring and renewing the world. And it'll happen. It'll start happening in your own heart and life. And then you'll get a, a journey of partnering with him and with us of seeing that thing flourish and bear fruit all around the world. So if that's you, you've got a moment now when we sing as well to come before God and say, I repent of my sin. I trust in you for salvation. Count me in as, as one of your people. Father, we, we come before you now. We want to worship you. I ask God that you would, by the power of your spirit, come and melt our hearts right now, God. Help us recognize the depth of our sin and depravity and the magnitude of your love. And let that transform us, God. Let that melt our hearts. How can we hold sins hold on to bitterness in our hearts and unforgiveness in our hearts towards others when you have, have let go of our sin. Free us from bitterness. Free us from unforgiveness. Soften our relationships, God. Soften our hearts in our marriages and in our friendships in this community by the power of your spirit and the truth of your gospel. Let's sing together.